I invite you to turn with me in God's holy word to Colossians chapter 3, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the first 17 verses. This evening we focus on verses 10 to 14 in connection with Lord's Day 33 and in particular the second part of Lord's Day 33 on the rising to life of the new man as that vital part of true repentance and conversion. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And here begins our focus. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, also must do. <coughs> but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So far in God's holy, inspired word, may he bless it to our hearts. And we're going to read Lord's Day 33. We will read the entire Lord's Day, um, which begins with the question, what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin. And more and more 
to hate and run from away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for His glory, and not those based on our own opinions or human tradition. Again, our focus is the rising to life of the new. Um, we won't even be covering everything in the catechism in that regards, but we pray that the Lord will bless um, through His Word. Uh, his call to us to live out the new life that we have in Christ. So, um, so this, this sermon is the second of two sermons on Lord's Day 33, which contains really a lot. Uh, a summary of what the life of conversion the life of repentance consists of, and it consists of two parts. So we're looking, uh, focusing on the second part, the rising to life of the new self, which again is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and with a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. The first thing that we want to see this evening is that what is true and complete that which is accomplished by Jesus Christ himself for us and becomes ours through our union to him by faith that which is complete accomplished you could say finished in principle is to become more and more, and we even have that phrase in related, relation to the, the first part of conversion in the catechism, it is to become more and more true in practice. Once we've established that, then we will look briefly at the kind of spiritual clothes God wants us to put on. He gives us quite a list here. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a representative list. Of the fruits of the Spirit. And that spiritual transformation. Qualities of it that are take place in our life. And we're going to look briefly at each one of the ones that Paul enumerates. As we have time here this evening. But to begin. Just remember that Paul is speaking to a church of sincere Christians of faithful Christians. There's always sin going on in the churches. There's always problems. There's always struggles. Some churches, like Corinth, of course, have very serious struggles. There's some that get uh, serious warnings against apostasy as a church. But here we have uh, a, a, a clearly a faithful church of Jesus Christ. And they are described, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 12 and following... As those who are buried with him, Christ, in baptism. And as those who, in which you also were raised with him through faith 
in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he has made alive together. That's, a, that's glorious language. It's language of accomplishment. It's language of what is true and full and complete in a beautiful way already. He has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So in this chapter, the first part of it then, we're just touching on now as context, is that they had, in other words, already put off, in principle, the old man, the old nature, the old life, by their union to Christ. They are among those that Romans 6 verse 5 uh, says, If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, this, all this kind of language here in this chapter in, in, in Scripture uh, reminds us that in principle, through our union with Jesus Christ, by faith in Him, these things are, in one sense, a done deal. We are secure in Him, both now and forever. It's accomplished in Christ, the crucifixion of our old man, the putting off of the sins of the flesh is secure. And there is such comfort in this knowledge. It's something we've got to hold on to as in life we struggle with our remaining sin. And we struggle with the attacks and the accusations of the devil. And the weakness that we still succumb to at times. And then we've got to hold on to what God tells us is ours in principle. But then, then, Paul goes on, almost in the same breath, he goes on to say, basically, what is yours in principle? Put it into practice. You've got to live this out. You who have put off in Christ by your union to him, the old man with his deeds, now put off. This is not a contradiction. This is a putting into practice that which in principle is accomplished in Christ. Now get busy putting off those deeds of the flesh. Put off anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So first Paul deals with the negative. Right? With the dying to sin. The crucifixion of the old self as it were. And then he now here in our text turns from the negative, the dying away, the putting off, to the positive, the putting on. Look, he says in verse 10, you who have, look, he says in verse 10, you who have put on the new man, something accomplished already, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, and then he tells us in verse 11, this is for everyone, it's not just for a certain segment, a, an elite portion, or a particularly advanced uh, cultural group within the church. This is for everyone, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, 
uh, slave or free. This is for all of you who are united to Christ and one in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 12. Therefore, therefore, because of what I said to you in verse 10, because you have put on the new man, therefore put it into practice. Therefore, as the elect of God, that's who you are. That's secure. Holy. God has done that. He set you apart. Beloved in Christ. Do this. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So you see, yes, you are secure in Christ. Yes, you are elect. If you believe in Him and have faith in Him, you know you... You know, like Paul came to know, you've been elected from before the foundation of the world. But nowhere and no how is that supposed to make you lazy. Is that supposed to take away even an iota of a sense of absolute urgency to be living a life that is a growing life, a changing life, a life that is merciless when it comes to your sin and your wickedness and that pours out Energy and pulls out the stops to live more like Christ. It's not like it all happens automatically, like you can sit back, let go, and let God. Yes, God is working, but it's you who's got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to take this seriously. You, this week, have to put on tender mercies. You don't have it fully on. You're not there yet. You're not all dressed yet. That's the message. Paul wants to shake the church's, you know, kind of contentment with the status quo. Like, we're okay, we're fine, we're secure, we're good, we can just go on as we are. You can't go on as you are. Yes, God saves you in a sense as you are, but he saves you to change who you are. You are to be changed and to continue to be changed. Now, I think it's important to, it's important to, to make this point as well. And I had to make it to myself too. Um, that there's a, a beautiful balance here in Scripture. And the devil is always out to get us off balance, off kilter, when it comes to doctrinal truth and preaching. And what is very important for us to remember here, that any Christian, any preaching, any church that gets into a rut of its own making, of looking upon the Christian life, primarily even, or even worse, only or mostly in a negative sense, only in the sense of putting off, only in the sense of cutting out, only in the sense of condemning sin and pointing out everything we have to get rid of and overcome. Any church that allows that to become the primary or the only emphasis this is not an understatement. 
is doomed to die, to shrivel up. Don't get me wrong. Everything God has through Paul said about putting off, and everything the Bible says about the dying away of the old self, and the condemnation of those works of wickedness, is absolutely vital. But you can't have one without the other. Either way. If you go one way or the other way to the exclusion of both, you end up off balance and twisted. So it's, and then just to apply this very personally, hopefully that makes it a little more understandable. That it, for me to apply it to myself means it's not enough, in other words, it's not enough at the end of the day to look back over my day you know, and as I'm coming to the Lord in prayer for forgiveness and for her grace and, and all of that, to look back on my day and, and think to myself, uh, uh, actually, today was quite a... I, I don't remember today losing my temper. I don't remember losing my temper. Um, today, I, I, I resisted the lust, the temptation to lust that I'm sometimes prone to. And no filthy words came out of my mouth. That's, if that's true, that's good. And you can thank God for it. But it's not enough. Because it's not just about what you didn't do. It's just as much about what you ought to do ought to have done, what you must do, what you're called to do. It's not just about what you've put off, but it's about what you have, if you have, whether you have, how you have put on. Qualities of spiritual fruit and blessing and transformation. So no Christianity that is satisfied with the negatives will ever survive or have a powerful influence in this world. No Christianity that ignores sin and, and the, God's condemnation of it will ever either. It might have the praise of men, but not the praise of God. But in Luke chapter 11, you, you'll find out that if you or I are content just to have our house, that means our own life, Nicely emptied of certain devils and sins then and swept clean. But you leave it empty and you don't get busy, to use the words of the catechism here, with, to fill it with a love and delight to live according to the will of God in every good work. Eventually, even more demons will fill that empty place. Therefore, because of what is yours already. Because of the righteousness Jesus lived for you. To give to you. To offer as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. In his death. Because he elected you. He lived and died for you. Who were chosen by the father before the foundation of the world. And given to Jesus as his gift. You are holy. Because you have been set apart by God for a new life, an eternal life. But now don't just sit back and coast along. 
busy living it. Living a life of transformation. A life of ongoing change. A life of continual growing. Not just a little bit. Not just here or there. Fill your life. Fill your life with it. Fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise, that my whole being may proclaim your being and your ways. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Christ has accomplished your salvation. He's lived for you. He's died for you. Now that accomplished redemption is to be applied to your heart and to your life through the Spirit, but you're active in it daily by doing these kind of things and making work of it, praying for grace, for the opportunities, for the insight, the alertness, the will, Dedication, the enthusiasm, the energy, the time, all those things are matters of prayer to. Tender mercies. Sometimes it's good to look at the literal meaning. Not always, but sometimes it's, it's, it's worth pausing for a minute and, and worth for a minister to look at the literal words that are behind words that are translated here in, in, in English. Um, and, and the words here are literally uh, two words. Bowels and compassion. Bowels refers to the stomach, the intestines, your gut. And compassion is compassion, right? To suffer with, with passion, with suffering. Put on bowels of compassion. You may remember, you've probably heard that the Greeks, the Greeks looked upon the bowels as the seat of emotion. We, we speak of the heart, you know, I love you with my whole heart, and we kind of use the heart as representative of, of emotion. The Greeks would use uh, the stomach. And in a way, they were more accurate, because where do you, if you get intense emotion, where do you feel it? It's not so much up here, it's down here, right? Sometimes we speak of my heart sank at the news of something. We're, we're talking about feeling something heavy in our, in our stomach, or... We talk about, well, we can have the emotions associated with nervousness and everything, and then we talk about butterflies and aware in our stomach. We also speak of when we see something particularly awful and, and, and painful and, and suffering, and it affects us deeply, we speak of it as gut-wrenching. And so God is telling us here, put on that kind of response, that kind of sensitivity, that kind of compassion with the sufferings of others. Someone wrote, don't tell your problems to people. 80% don't care, and 20% will be glad that you have them. That person who wrote that must have been speaking out of a painful experience himself. And, and that kind of callousness to suffering must never characterize God's people. You must put on compassion. You must be a people sensitive. Not just to your own problems. 
to the problems of others so that you care, so that you're there to help, so that you're there to give a word of counsel or encouragement, or you're there just to quietly suffer with that person and to pray with that person. But that's what we're called to put on in our life, that spiritual fruit, which is born, of course, as we'll see at the end, of love. Where the rubber could hit the road in one way is here. You and I really more often need to ask each other, how are you doing? And mean it. Not just a formality. And we really need to be satisfied less easily with a quick, fine, fine. If you're really fine, that's okay. But then say why you are. Be open about what God is doing in the way of blessing, as well as in the way of challenges and struggles that you have. Be open. Say, if things are well, what God is doing. Mention some blessings so others can do what they're supposed to do, right? Rejoice with you. And if it's not so fine, don't say that it is. Be honest, be humble, say what's troubling you. Say what challenges you're facing or what you're afraid of so that others can suffer with you. Compassion, so that they can really have it. Give them the opportunity. No, don't become an incessant complainer. Don't be afraid to share a struggle. And if someone tells you something that they're wrestling with, show care, show compassion, show interest. Just let it go in one ear or out the other. Maybe stop and pray with that person for a few moments. Even if it's in the fellowship hall. Or even if it's out in the parking lot. That shouldn't be so unusual. If we're putting on tender mercies. Compassion. Compassion means doing something for someone too if possible. Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Cared about their physical needs. Luke 7 tells us, And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. What he could do, he did, born of compassion. We can't do what Jesus did. Not all that he did. We can certainly do some of what Jesus did. There's somebody hungry. Someone naked. We can have compassion. Can't we? We're called to. 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another. It's the real way in which it starts among the household of faith. It's here we 
practice it in such a way that we're able to do it to those who are on the outside too. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, courteous. Well, we have to go quickly through these, but um, if you put on bowels of compassion, you, you see these are all so tied together too, right? How can you leave out kindness? We, we actually show our compassion by our kindness, don't we? Kindness is the polar opposite of malice. Kindness seeks the welfare of another person. doesn't want to harm or do, do injury to another person's reputation, but do good. And, and we're called to be kindly, kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. It's easy to wait for an opportunity, kind of, to show kindness, to, to kind of want it to just fall into our lap. Same with compassion. But we shouldn't just wait for an opportunity. This is active. This is put on. You do it. Don't just wait for it to be done to you. Or wait till your arm is twisted so you got no choice. No, do it. Search for it. Figure out ways you can do it. Old ways, new ways. Tried and true ways, innovative ways. David did that, didn't he? Remember? Now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So David said to him when he found him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table continually. He sought out opportunity to show kindness. What is desired in a man, Proverbs 19, 22, is kindness. And you know, I was struck when I came across the account in Acts 28, what it says there. Paul says, now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Simple. But rich and important enough to be recorded for all posterity in God's holy word. And who were these? These were natives. Yes, these are probably natives that God was preparing to receive the gospel and, and, whom, and through whom he's working. But, but they, even before they're united to Christ, are showing unusual kindness. If the world can show kindness in these kind of things, small things, big things, how much more shouldn't you and I be exemplary as those who show kindness in big things and small things? The gospel is the ultimate kindness of God. Listen, he's raised us up together, Ephesians 2, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But you know what? Kindness is not just on the giving end. Kindness should also be on the receiving end. What do I mean? What do we mean? You know how proud we can be sometimes? Foolish and proud? Our pride wants to say and give the impression, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need help. I can handle it on my own. 
if somebody else shows sympathy for us or whatever, it's like we get uncomfortable. We might even told a little, turn a little bit of a cold shoulder to brush it away. Why? Because we don't want to seem needy. But what is that? That's our pride. That's our pride. We are needy. We each have strengths that God gives us. But we don't have it all. So he puts us in a body. So we need each other. Others need you, but you need each other. And so, we've got to be ready to receive help. And open to receive it. And honest to receive it too. Kindly. No cold shoulders. No brush-offs. You see then how kindness ties in with this humbleness of mind, which flows out of it too. We've got to be humble in the way we receive our blessings. Help, care, support, instruct, instruct, correct, and admonish one another. You know, you've all probably felt it. Your hair stand up a little bit on end when you realize that somebody's criticizing something you did and is, is, is bold enough to tell you that they're concerned about that, you know? And what happens? Our defenses get all up and, and, and we, we don't, we, we almost turn deaf ear right away. What is that? That's the old man rearing up its ugly head. Right? Humility is what we need. We all need to know we need correction. We need admonition. We need to listen to each other. Honestly. And humbly. And if mom and dad correct you, you know how that is sometimes? They tell you you did something bad and, and you get in bad mood and you pout, pout. You go off to your room. You sulk. Right? Because you didn't get to do what you wanted to do and your mom and dad had to tell you off or even discipline you. But what is that? When you react like that, what is that? That's, that's the old man. That's the old man that you need to be putting off, putting to death. And for that to happen, you've got to put on humility and thankfulness and esteem others better than yourselves and not be so wise in your own opinion. Listen carefully and humbly to those around you, even the ones you, who differ from you. We don't all have complete 100% handle on the truth. We need to listen to each other too. Imagine how much more love and respect there would be if we really meant, if we really applied this to our lives. And you must show that you're not thinking of yourself as better. You have to speak out of humility. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than yourself. What is the rising to life of the new self? It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ. I'm sure you've heard this even perhaps many times before, but it's worth hearing again. If, if the new life is joy in Christ, what is joy? How can we remember that? You remember the acronym? It's rich, isn't it? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That brings joy into our lives. Now, all these things I, I trust are kind of easy to agree with, are they? hope so. But you know what? It's harder to make our life agree with them. And that's why you need and I need to be told. And that's why we need to be commanded to put them on. This isn't an option. This isn't icing on the cake. 
This isn't even the cake. This is the basic food and drink of the Christian life. Meekness and long-suffering are children of humility. Paul even tells Timothy, who's a minister, that he has to be meek. That's not necessarily a trait that a lot of ministers excel at. But Paul says to Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, be argumentative, fighting, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If even a servant of the Lord is to be meek, shouldn't we all be meek? And meekness has nothing to do with weakness. Remember, Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. But was he weak? No, he wasn't. Not spiritually He was a sinner, but he he was strong in the Lord and not physically either. Even in his old age. One Bible dictionary defines meekness as a calm temper of mind, not easily provoked. You don't take offense easily. Gentleness means you don't give offense easily. One is the passive, the other is the active. And we could also add that meekness is is like the union of humility and self-control. And the world says if you're meek, you're going to lose. You're going to lose out. People are going to trample over you. God says the meek will inherit the earth. Long-suffering. We've got to be willing to suffer. At the hands of others. At the world's hands. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, right? They persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. Right? We shouldn't be so taken aback or so discouraged. In fact, if we suffer, right? For righteousness' sake, blessed are you when men revile you. Hold on to that. It'll make you able to suffer long. But what is tougher is when you suffer offense and, 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 and misunderstanding and, and betrayal sometimes even in, in, from, from those you love. From fellow Christians. But even there then. You're called to be long suffering. Look at how long suffering Jesus was with his disciples. How often they disappointed him. Misunderstood him. Right? Forsook him. Did he give up on them? No. He was perfect. You and I are not. You and I have the added ability to realize how long suffering God is with us. With all our sins against him every day. And we have the added ability to realize how long suffering my spouse, maybe my children, others in the congregation have to be with me because I'm a sinner and I offend them sometimes. And that realization should make it easier to be long suffering with others. These are the things you need to be wearing as Christians. And putting on more and more. Willing to forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also. Be ready to forgive each other. Your brother or sister did something wrong? Sure, they should apologize. But maybe they don't apologize right away. Can you therefore be mean to them? Turn a cold shoulder to them? God says no. God says, be long-suffering as I'm long-suffering with you. And overcome evil with good, with love. It's true for every one of us. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfect, 
forgiveness. This doesn't mean that love replaces everything. Love makes everything else obsolete. Of course not. But it means that that love is the fabric that makes all these other articles of spiritual clothing durable, strong, and beautiful. Put on love as that which rules everything, motivates you. Love for God, love for those made in His image. Put it on. It's not just automatic. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes prayer. It takes endurance. But you can do it. Why? Not because you're so good or so strong. But because the Spirit has chosen to make you His dwelling place. <laughs> Clothe yourself. Put on. All that God calls you to put on. Don't just window shop. Look at the window that's in the window and think, oh, that's nice. And, oh, I wish I could do that. Or, I wish I could wear that. Uh, and you go on. You're here to buy without money and without price. It's for you to put on and to wear the garments of the righteousness of Jesus Christ accomplished in perfection in him in your union to him now being worked out by the spirit in your life more and more conforming you making you like him you and me 